Hey, bonus Toru. All right. Uh, really quick business before we get into the episode. On December 8th, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Independent Guahan is holding the Azuda e Manyanata event. Uh, if you guys recall from earlier this year, the war reparations uh, measure in Congress passed. Um, there's still a lot of problems with that. Um, the main one being that um, we're already paying for this. This is something that's that's coming out of monies that we already collect. This is coming out of Section 30 funds. Um, so that, that's just one thing. Uh, and I know that they are still looking into alternatives uh, as far as um, sources of payments. Uh, certainly, the preferred uh, source of payment would be um, the United States Treasury uh, because, you know, the people of Guam really had nothing to do with World War II. Um, you know, we were just caught in the middle of it because we were a colony of the, of the United States. Um, you know, the United States took no effort to defend the island whatsoever, knowing uh, in advance that there would be an attack. Um, and again, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I've said this before, but uh, if you look at the book, um, An American Shame, written by uh, a retired Marine, no less, um, you know, that... The United States evacuated their, their dependents, their civilian contractors, and they knew about the attack. They knew the, the likelihood of a, of a Japanese attack, and they, they evacuated all their, their, their dependents and, and what have you, and they left the island defenseless, and the people of Guam, the, the Chamorros, the um, non-Chamorro immigrants, settlers, what have you, um, who were there uh, were left unaware and for them it was just a normal um, a normal Santa Maria Kamalin day uh, everyone a lot of people were at church um, you know it was just a normal morning and then bam so yeah the people of Guam had nothing to do with that and yet here we are today uh, forced to pay war reparations out of our own pockets so um, we definitely advocate for, for alternatives um, and we definitely advocate for a more responsible America. So we have that. Uh, anyway, so what, what I'm getting at, I know I, I like to spiral off, but okay. So this is a flawed process, but, you know, if it, if it helps the Manumku right now, if it helps them get a little something, a little sense of, uh, of closure for some people or at least um you know they, they've been fighting this battle for a long time this is something that they've been asking for for a very long time if we can if we can help them go through this process now you know that that's the intent of this event so what we're going to be doing is um we're going to be at the university of guam uh hss building uh there's going to be entertainment um, for attendees, uh, especially geared towards or catered to uh, our Manumku. So I, I, I don't know if uh, Shannon McManus and John are on board just yet, but we're definitely going to be checking in with them, seeing if they can uh, provide some awesome uh, independent sounds. Um, but then the, the, um, the main part of this event is uh, we're actually going to be having volunteers um, help uh, our Manumku uh, fill out the, the forms that they need to, to turn in to 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 receive these uh, these funds these uh, war operations um, you know so I think we, we could still use a few more volunteers uh, and uh, we would definitely like your support we would like you to show up um, if you have a grandparent or a parent who um, qualifies for for these war operation funds uh, bring them down um you know we'll also be uh sharing uh world war ii survival stories because you know that's a narrative i think that that gets drowned out by all the uh the american propaganda but before we dive uh too deeply in, into that that's definitely um the topic for uh another episode um i do want to say 
that we now have, I think, more than five patrons on uh, Patreon. And uh, a big Sizos Masi to, to everyone who's signed up to support the podcast and to support um, independent indigenous media. Um, Sia Cruz, Alvarez, I see you. Jesse Tsukwalaf, uh Leja Kasil, Sizos Masi, Toru. Um, and, you know, if I didn't mention you, it's only because I don't have the screen pulled up in front of me. And, um, you know, it's not to say that I don't appreciate you as well. As I appreciate all of you, even if you if you don't have the ability to to help us out monetarily, um, just listening. And um, there, there's other there's non monetary ways to to support the podcast. Um, one thing I want I want to to start pushing now is uh, if you can, if you if you listen to the show, go ahead and leave us a rating on iTunes. I think that would definitely help us out and um, help us connect to other indigenous uh, media groups out there. If you are able to, though, $20, $10, even $1 an episode, uh, all of those things definitely help out with the show and uh, with progressing indigenous media, especially here on Guahan. Um, you know we need it. Seriously. Warning! 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 This is an emergency, an emergency. We need urgency. Warning! This is an emergency, an emergency. All right, so, gentlemen. You want to do a check first? Uh, no, you should be good. Are you sure? Yeah. Check. Nothing. Okay, good. Check. Good, good, good. Bad, bad, bad. Yeah, three. All right. All right. So, um, we have a special guest, if you want to call it that. We we've met previously. Um, on I think it was like the third episode. Yeah, we're probably but, distantly um, related, but you know. That too, man. Um, so yes, if you haven't guessed by now, by his uh, sexy voice, it's Adrian Cruz, the uh, chairman of the uh, Free Association Task Force. And you know, um, despite what uh, the media likes to portray, you know, like uh, we're not at each other's throats, man. I mean, I didn't know, you know we were portrayed that way, Mr. Cruz. I have a feeling we are. I want to say we are, but then I'm just anti-mainstream media, so. Oh. Yeah, so funny that you write for a mainstream media. Source. I I used to, sir. <laughs> I used to, uh, but but yeah. So um, I don't know. We we can we can go through a really short introduction. I mean, it, it has been a while since you've been on. Um, you know, what what drew you to free association? Um, political involvement. Um, yeah. Well, we'll just start there. So. Well, half a day Guam and half a day world. Uh, I'm Adrian Cruz. I'm the chairman for the Free Association Task Force. Um, I've assumed this role about, I would say, what, year and a half, year and a half, two years maybe, yeah, something like that. Um, Joe Garrido was the uh, former chairman who uh, graciously stepped down um, uh, to uh, take care of some personal matters. Um, political involvement, well, uh, first of all, um, a long time ago when I was still in college, I was uh, great friends and, and I hopefully still am great friends with uh, the chairman of the Independence Task Force, uh, Mike Bavacqua. And the two of us were, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, young college students uh, trying to make a difference in the diaspora community of the Chamorros in Guam. And we were with a organization that is defunct now, but it is called uh, Famok Saizen. Um, and so he and I uh, collaborated on that, uh, many a long night in San Diego. Um, and then uh, our, our paths kind of crossed again, uh, and we met up back on Guam. Um, uh, I'm a local businessman, and um, I've always been interested in politics. Uh, my family has a long history of uh, being in politics. Um, so... Yeah, and, and when I mean long history, I mean very long history, probably since the Spanish era, so really? it's nothing new. Um, and, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm just trying to do my bit like everybody else to try to make sure that uh, all of us here on Guam have a, 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 a better future, a future which we can uh, be free to exercise our uh, political and economic interests. Yeah. 
Wow. Cool, man. Um, yeah, I'm sure you've, you've probably read uh, PNC today, right? Uh, the, they just announced that the UN resolution on Guam passed. Uh, 80 countries supported. Is that right, Megan? 80 countries in support of the resolution? Yeah. So that's big news. Um, you know, no on matter a, what. On an interesting of, note of that, I'm uh, wondering what version of that resolution for Guam uh, passed. Uh, because uh, we were talking yesterday at the uh, uh, decolonization um, meeting, our monthly meeting. And that was one of the issues was that, um, you know, the United States actually lobbied a bunch of countries to change the wording and to and already that the 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 latest version was already watered down and they were trying to water it down some more and uh you know the united states is a pretty powerful block um especially to a lot of developing countries and and especially countries in our our not only our region but really important to our immediate neighbors and one of the things i asked them because it's kind of a historic thing is that uh, our neighbors, the FSM, the Republic of Palau, the Republic of the Marshall Islands, um, and places around there, um, have traditionally or historically voted against us almost in all the measures, simply because um, you know they are so dependent on the United States, and uh, it's kind of sad when you know the the other kids on the block don't even support you. So uh, I'm wondering. Uh, I know that in one of the last meetings about Guam, they weren't even at the voting. So they, they didn't even vote, uh, you know, they didn't even abstain from vote from voting. They just weren't even there. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested. I'll, I'll, anything that uh, helps Guam and its causes, of, cor of course, uh, noteworthy and uh, could be a joyous occasion. But, you know, the devil's really in the details. So mm -hmm. I'm really curious as to which exact version of the message on Guam uh, came out. I see. Miguel, do we have uh, any inkling as to uh, what the latest draft of that was before it passed? Or? Oh, I, have, I, I didn't read the one that ultimately passed. Oh, I see. Um, but there was, the last part that I read, there was attempts to water down and uh, take out some of the verbiage. Mm -hmm. um, but not all of them failed. I mean, so one of the things was that was fought over was that the United States doesn't want mentions about the bases because they feel like base, base issues are domestic. It's our concern. You don't have any right. But other countries argued that Actually, the UN has a long-standing history of telling colonizers that you can't increase your bases, you can't increase military presence, don't use your colonies for military purposes because it can, it will conflict with self-determination. So right. The two legs that it really stands on is, one, the non-militarization of colonial possessions, and two, um, the inability or the restriction of allowing for settler populations in them. Those are really the two legs that, uh, uh, or standards that the United Nations hopes that countries uh, will adhere to when it comes to colonies. And of course, uh, we can see the results of uh, something like that right here on Guam. You know, uh, we have a a settler. A population on being on Guam and B, um, a member of that settler population has managed to derail our plebiscite mm -hmm. um, initiative. And so, you know, there's a classic uh, case in point why this is kind of an issue. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, touching on that, there, there's two things I want to I want to bring up with you um, is uh, the issue or the, the term settler. Um, I have a uh, a couple um, non-native friends who who made Guam their home for decades. Uh, one of them being um, Mr. Will Sullivan, who's uh, an instructor over at GCC. A uh, very respectful guy. He's married to uh, a Chamorro woman, um, and he's actually uh, part Indian. Uh, so um, he, you know, he he's familiar with issues of colonialism, um, but uh, he still he can't seem to conceptualize himself as a settler and he sort of takes offense to that term um so you know what's your what's your ideas about uh settlerism settler colonialism and two um something we talked about on the the last episode we just recorded was um what does it mean for you to be chamorro okay well you know when you, whenever you talk about things like uh, or or have labels for people like for example settler 
or um, immigrant and things like that. People take great umbrage to that. So, and I hope this isn't taken out of context, but the way I like to look at it is let's take it away from the human element. Let's just look at our natural world. We could say that Chamorros culturally have an affinity for the Carabao or the deer. Although they were brought in the 17th century by the Spaniards, and we can see the ecological effects of having an animal that doesn't really belong in that ecosystem. I, you know, I just came from Rhoda not too long ago, and I was amazed um, while driving through the southern end of that island and looking at the lights on Guam, I was amazed at how vastly different um, their ecosystem is. And uh, while I was trekking through the jungle there, I went with a bunch of uh, Zoamti, uh, Surhanos and Surhanas. We were there to make medicine. Uh, while we were trekking through the jungle, I noticed that I did not see any pig ruts. And uh, they told me that um, they recognize in Luta that these animals are not native and they are not helpful to their ecology. So they kill them on site. And the just the visual difference between what we would consider lush jungle, right? I mean, we have people in Guam who are protesting for Protehilitecten, right? And they're saying that this is a pristine forest. And I mean, just to, I mean, it looks like, I don't know, Hemlani versus Beverly Hills when it comes to the quality of their flora on the two islands. And one of the simple reasons is, is because of the uh, absence of non-invasive species. So although we feel warm and fuzzy and cuddly about these animals, the carabao, the wild pig, the deer, they're part of our cultural experience. That doesn't mean that they're necessarily a part and parcel or, or a native species and they can cause some damage in the same way a person from Spain or Mexico could say that they are, they have claims or rights or a, a right to be here or are, or feel a part of um, the Chamorro culture or, or part of Guam. And they wouldn't be wrong. They, you know, um, the Spanish colonization happened longer than the United States has been a country. And most people can't don't really put that into perspective that Guam was under the Spanish crown longer than the United States has currently been a independent nation. Um, so that's really a long time. Um, and they've also intermarried. Um, but that you can't have a Mexican person or uh, a Spaniard or a Peruvian or even a Filipino come and say, well, because my country has somehow had a, a part in your history, we are therefore grafted onto your native experience, or we are native. I mean, it's just preposterous, right? We, if you asked a if you asked a modern day American, um, does a Mexican have a right to claim land on Guam since we were part of the Acapulco trade route? And their answer would, of course, be no. They don't. Um, so, in the same way, you can't have a nation that's been here for just a little over a hundred years and a settler population that has really only been here for the last 70 at most. Um, and say that somehow this, you know, just because you were here a generation or two, it makes you indigenous or that you should have some kind of claim or say, um, any more so than you would say that because the, uh, brown tree snake has been here for, uh, three generations that it somehow now is an indigenous animal. Um, it's just, I'm sorry, it just doesn't jive. Not to say that they don't have a right to be here or that we shouldn't, in human compassion and charity, want people. Because, you know, honestly, I think Guam has been made a much more vibrant, um, creative, and uh, prosperous place because of settlers and immigrants. Um, and honestly... Um, if Guam has a chance to become a freely associated country or an independent country, which is kind of the same thing, uh, I would say that um, I most definitely would not want our settlers to leave because uh, it would be a sad day on Guam. Um, 
the real issue is is uh, it's a human rights issue, and that right is belongs to a group of people who have had a right taken away from them or have not been able to exercise uh, that right. So that's really the base, uh, the 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 crux of the matter is who is the self in self-determination and uh it's not a right that belongs to the rocks or the geographical place of guam or the flora and fauna or even uh you know uh the municipality of whatever village it's it's a human right and it belongs to uh, a group of people and those group of people we will call chamorro as 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 was defined uh, in the treaty of paris and in the uh, organic act mm-hmm. yeah well th- there's a lot of ways we we can uh take that last tidbit um i don't know for me like okay well yeah so we'll we'll start first with uh so what does it mean for you to be chamorro what does it mean for be to be a chamorro right well first of all i guess from a ethnic point of view I am a Chamorro in that Chamorros are used to describe the native inhabitants of the Marianas Islands. Um, I am a Chamorro who can trace my ancestry to a pre-contact person. Um, So, you know, that's that's not an issue. Um, Most people who don't know me right off the bat, they'll look at me and think that, I'm Mexican or, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm a very light complected Chamorro. I'm uh, very Hispanic. There's lots of heavy uh, uh, Hispanic blood in my family. Um, does that make me any less of this indigenous person? No, my family is, has been here for centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what it is is that my people who have been here, were colonized by outside forces, have mixed with freely these outside forces as a way of, um, you know, s- surviving and uh, adapting. Um, and of course, there's just the plain old human biology, uh, you know, people falling in love together. And um, But we've always been connected to this place by blood and by geographic location. And more importantly, my grandparents were not born U.S. citizens, although they were um, U.S. nationals, uh, although the United States had had owned Guam. Um, And their grandparents, who were very much alive, uh, you know, when they were, uh, were born as Spanish subjects. And so this, politically speaking, this is what makes me Chamorro. The fact that my grandmother's grandfather who raised her was a 26-year-old man with a few kids when in 1898 he was clearly a Spanish citizen spoke Spanish um and all of a sudden was now stateless uh and and his children who were born after 1898 were not US citizens of course his grandchildren my grandmother one of whom he raised was also not born a US citizen and uh, all of a sudden one morning in uh, August of 1950 they magically became U.S. citizens, and uh, without you know their consent uh, or 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 um, their assent, and uh, so this this is what politically makes me a Chamorro: the fact that I am a descendant of these people, mm-hmm. these people whose rights were not respected and who have not had a chance to determine, like every other people in the world, um, the course of their political action. Mm-hmm. So. That's what makes me tomorrow. Yeah, cool. I, I think we uh, we agree on on some points there. Um, where what do we disagree on? Well, um, your your notion of uh, blood, I think um, that's a it's a common misconception about uh, where where you you gain your identity from is uh, and that's of course tied to the issue of or the the idea of blood quantum, right? So I'm I'm half I'm half this I'm half that. You know, uh, that's supposing that there's like a, a, a pure whole or, or like a whole pure Chamorro at some point, which, you know, there never was really. How do we know that? Well, because uh, it's, you know, I'm not a genealogist here, man. 
you know, that's not my expertise. But um, I'll, I'll tell you mm -hmm. why a lot of people stick to that and why it is an important argument. Mm -hmm. You know, you've always heard in America that people say, oh, my great great grandmother was a Cherokee princess. Right. They, you know, they all you I've heard this countless times in California and elsewhere. And um, the thing is, is that blood does matter because a group of people, a distinct group of people, we are so distinct that my, Dr. Michael Villar did a, a gene. Uh, what is that blood or is that DNA? Well, DNA is tied in with blood, right? It, DNA doesn't come from the sky. Mm -hmm. It's a part of our cells it, and, and in blood, we'll call it blood, but really it is DNA, right? Yeah, yeah. We'll call it blood because it is the most common expression of the notion of DNA. Mm -hmm. But really what it is, is, is that you are part of a distinct people. Um, you know, I can't go to Japan mm -hmm. and say I am Japanese, even though we know that the quote unquote real Japanese would be the Ainu and then and that most of what we call Japanese today um, are either Korean or Chinese descent Im immigrants into that land or conquerors that have made their homeland there. And now we call that place, you know, Nippon, we call that place Japan mm -hmm. and they are Japanese um, in the same way. We can say that our distinct people colonized the Marianas. And this group of people persisted. Mm -hmm. And uh, not only is it evident in our language, culture, um, although there are differences within the islands, um, we share a, a common language and culture. And more importantly, we share a common DNA background. So I think that uh, for us to say that it is not important or, it's, or it shouldn't be a defining characteristic is kind of preposterous, actually. See, here's the thing, though. So there, there's a, an indigenous way of looking at identity, right? And that's not through, not through quote-unquote blood or DNA, but through um, your ancestral ties to a place, right? And that's, that's where we sort of agree. Um, how you, you, you define yourself as Chamorro, you know you're Chamorro because you have, you're a descendant of uh, These blood people. people. No, I'm not a blood, blood descendant of them. Uh, I'll give you a good example. <laughs> uh-huh. There are Carolinians in Saipan. Yes. Some of them were raised uh, by Chamorros. Mm -hmm. And when you ask them what they are, they'll say they're Chamorinians. Have that Carolinian go down to Rhoda and tell them that you're Chamorro. And let's see what the people, the simple people of Rhoda would say. Oh. And their answer is, do I know your parents? Uh, are, are you somehow connected or related to me? Um, and if not, then... Call yourself whatever you will, but, you know. Um, so this idea of just because I feel oh, not feel. like or... But do, you, do you have the, the family ties to a place? And again, um, so there's another way of looking at that too. Uh, Carlisle Corbin talks about the island ethos, and it's a, a set of uh, ideological principles that make you an islander, you know. And one of those is uh, stewardship of the land. And if you have that, then... Um, if you have the good intentions of the collective and of the land that you inhabit, then uh, you have um, you you have this island ethos in you. you well, know? if that was the case, and we were going to go to uh, what our ethos is, then I guess uh, we should be embracing our uh, relative and brother and sisters up in the uh, Air Force because they say that they are the great stewards of the land as well. Yeah, that's what they say. I mean, depending on uh, how many press releases you read and uh, how many bombs they're blowing up per month, or you know, from one cruise to another, <laughs> we're not going to agree on this. <laughs> no, but see, that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, it's such a it's such a a muddy issue on some some aspects. But it's just the notion of blood, and uh, you know, the the idea of blood quantum. Uh, if I if it's I remember not even correctly, a quantum is it's the fact that you uh -huh. come from this group of people, mm -hmm. because like I said. A Mexican could claim by, and, and legitimately, by history, by uh, how they've taken care of or improved uh, the, the life here in Guam, that they legitimately have a connection or they are part of Guam. Mm -hmm. you, could, you could really say that that is true. 
um, just like the carabao is a chamorro animal or the you know or, or the deer right it's it's true um, but again there is a point this is a human this is a human problem and part of that um, you know I mean if if we were gonna go down the merry road about um, you know blood and things like that I mean, eventually, we're all going to arrive at that, uh, you know, proverbial Eve where our, 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 our ancient great grandmother from Africa. And then all of us could say that we can claim the whole world, right? Because we all descend from the same people. So, you know, blood is inconsequential. Also, there, you just answered uh, your, your question to me about how do we know if there ever was a pure Chamorro? And my response was, or I, I said that there wasn't. And then, you know, going the, the idea well, we're of uh, calling Chamorros those group Africa. of people yes. before outside contact. <laughs> uh-huh. So we're going to say that those people are, quote, unquote, pure Chamorros. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they called themselves collectively some kind of word to differentiate themselves from the newcomers shows that they were a distinct group of people. Mm-hmm. So those are the people and their descendants, however, however much... Um, you know, addition uh, they've added right. the 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 core right fall, falls from those people. Yeah, absolutely. So remember, there was only what a couple thousand of us at the end of the 17th century. So you know, we all kind of came from the same pot. <laughs> well, see, oh man, this is a whole another discussion. See, well, I don't know how how deep do you want to get into this? Mo- moving on, Mr. Cruz. You want to move on? on? Okay, all right, cool. So, anyways, so. You mentioned you and Miguel were part of um, the uh, legendary Famuk sides. And Is it legendary? Wow, I didn't know To me, know yes. Because, uh, I don't know. Uh, Maso- or, yeah. Masobinzu? Masobinhau? Yes. So. Oh. That's right, yeah. Do you Are you familiar with uh, Jacette Kanata as well? or Jacette. Is she like a social worker that just moved from the States? Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. I was just on a whole weekend with her in Rhoda. Oh, yeah. So, so key example here, man. Um, uh, we, we've shared tears uh, many episodes ago. Uh, and I ran into her, or I guess, you know, consequential of uh, our, our network, really. But um, I knew her when um, my family was uh, working at Vandenberg Air Force Base. And her she was living in, um, I think, Bakersfield. Okay. For, um, yeah. But, um, yeah, so we, we uh, were related through uh, our Luhan side. So she would come up um, every couple months or so. And, um, yeah, I, I had no idea that um, years after we had met, she joined Famic Sidesen. But even before then... Yeah, even before then, she was already planting these ideas, you know, these seeds. Like, uh, you know, you need to go back to Guam and. Uh, you probably met her in like 2008. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you probably just met her yeah, yeah. So, years before Famuk Saizen, um, you know, she's already planting these seeds. Like, go back to Guam, contribute to the community, um, bring bring skills and knowledge back home, do that. And I was like, yes, I'll do it. This is this is how to, to contribute to our and people. And she's uh, finally taking the plunge herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So, if I'm excited, I mean, uh, like, I hadn't heard about it until joining Independent Guahan. But to me, it seems like just the, the perfect mix of, uh, of revolutionary uh, thinkers, you know, um, from from the Marianas, you know. And, yeah, like Miguel said, like, so many went on to be, um, you know, well, I didn't very know, powerful I didn't activists. Know, Mike, I didn't know that we were legendary, man. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> you know that that I don't know how to feel about that, but uh, thank yeah. you. It's an honor and a privilege. Well, what was your experience in Fomic Sites? Well, you know, um, I don't know that there was. Well, okay, take, I take that back. The precursor to that probably was the Guam clubs, right? And those were, and uh, you know, my my grandfather moved out uh, to the states in the 1950s, so really early on. And, uh, you know, um, the Guam clubs were founded. And uh, one of the things about the Guam clubs, if you talk to, like, you know, those initial members, was they were kind of, I would say by the 1970s, they were really disenchanted. Um, they They were beginning to say, oh, not only how wonderful it is to live out in the States, but how come it's not like this back home? How come we don't have this benefit or this, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing? And so um, the Guam clubs, particular I mean, the oldest one, of course, is in San Diego. 
And I think there was, I think there actually is an older one in San Francisco, but it kind of doesn't really function anymore. Mm -hmm. But uh, the San Francisco one, I think, was the first community of uh, uh, Chamorros um, post-World War II. I know there was a bunch of uh, Chamorros who left on the whaling ships and who probably got together in Hawaii and California. But um, as far as post-World War II, um, the San Francisco Guam Club and the San Diego Guam Club were like among the first. And... Uh, yeah, they they had this sort of um, political undertone. But, you know, the more um, new expats they got coming to the States, um, you know, it kind of just got pushed under. You know, nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to stir the pot. And so I think since then, Famux Saizen really was uh, probably the first... Um, you know, sort of group uh, tackling and wrestling with those kind of questions. But, you know, it wasn't overtly political. It was more cultural, I think, at the at the beginning. Mm. Um, and then inevitably it touched on uh, political issues. And um, I don't know, Mike, when did that sort of fizzle out? Probably when we moved back here. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. And we kind of all sort of moved back at the same time, which is... Uh, you know, the end or, or the middle of the American housing bubble or uh, crisis or whatever. You know, that time that was what, like the mid 2000s. Um, I came out here because my grandfather had fallen ill. And so I came back to take care of him. That was my reason. Mike moved out as soon as he was done with his uh, Ph.D., which took like, you know, like 20 years or something. I don't know. But, you know, long, long time. Now I'm just playing. Uh, but, yeah, Mike finished his Ph.D. and moved here. And then I don't think it really it just kind of fizzled out in the states with the people there or a lot of them moved here so yeah. um so if you think about who came who moved to guam around the same time and you know you came back i came back victoria moved back sabina she was in the bay area sabina perez moved back even uh john bloss and audrey victoria ward and I are the same age. we went to middle school together wow. and then who else and then so a whole bunch of people uh, started coming back who had been in and later Carrie Ann Borja came back and Josette came Jonathan back yeah Jonathan Diaz came back too and so he was also part of Femic Sides at that time and so yeah and it a lot of the energy then moved even the Marie Marie Aoyoung she was affiliated and connected with Femic Sides and too and she came back and so the energy really moved to Guam mm. and so but we may see somewhat of a resurgence because a lot of the people who uh, went to the UN who were in the Bay Area, they're talking about having a report back and doing some stuff out there. You know, it's funny because I remember me and Mike were at, I think it was a cafe called Lestats on, uh, on um, Adams Avenue in San Diego. There's a cafe and it's a, like a gothy cafe, but it's open 24 hours a day. And it was like at some ungodly hour of the morning. And we actually were talking about what to name this thing. And we were tossing around the idea of the song size. And I don't know if you remember that. I, I don't. Yes. Yeah. See, but yeah, we were talking about the name because we had he had like a couple, and we were throwing it around and stuff like that. But anyway, I I distinctly remember that, and that's really interesting. Yeah. I can't believe you just like uh, brought me back uh, a whole decade yeah. back into the you know, wow. Yeah, that, that's really cool. I mean, it really was inspiring to see um, you know, the people who were must. Mas amko. Oh, or um Mas how would I say, kihago. the people who are even younger than me. Oh Hobenya Kiguahu. Hobenya Kiguahu. Yeah, so at the UN, you know, like that was really inspiring for me as well. So to know that there's a resurgence, you know, in our diaspora is awesome. And you know what's interesting is I don't personally know any young person, and I'll consider myself a young person, anybody under 40, I'm 35, who kind of full-forced, wholeheartedly, vocally, patriotically supports, like, uh, statehood mm -hmm. or, or some kind of, like, really super close America can do no wrong kind of... Yeah. position I, I don't know any um 
I would assume a lot of them are in the military, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, but I don't know anybody who really would like go out of their way like we do to make our point known. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Mike and I, um, you know, our two positions are not like ideologically opposed. Right. Uh, they're kind of almost in very many ways similar. Yeah. So my, my next question was going to be like, where where's the divergence? I mean, like, I'm a realist. Okay. (laughs) No, let me explain that further. So, um, you know, free association is independence, right? I mean, that's part of the the definition of the thing. It's two independent sovereign nations, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, you know, nobody would argue that Palau is an independent or the FSM is an independent or the Marshall Islands is an independent because they are, right? And yet they're also in free association with the United States. So um, free association is independence. It's just, you know, as a leader, and I, and I, and I take that word, um, you know, I tread lightly with that. I don't consider myself a leader, but um, as a person um, trying to strive for a change for the people of Guam, uh, well, I guess that is a leader, but anyway, as one of those people, I have to take that seriously and responsibly. And uh, if I want to achieve that in my lifetime, I have to do whatever it takes to make that happen. Um, and one of those things is recognizing my own strengths and weaknesses and the weaknesses and strengths of my own cause. And, um, you know, and Mike, Mike will assent to this that, uh, you know, my position of free association, the position of um, having a freely associated state with the United States is actually the only position that the United States has probably seriously said that they would consider. Um, so I have to take that, you know, uh, um, I have to take that and run with it. Um, and the thing is that I have to also look at the and take the pulse of the people if we walked out of this room right now and asked every single person we saw in the hss building i'm sure most of them would say they either like the status quo or they wish we were more like the states Mm. um and i have to respect that although i have my own personal ideas Although I have my own personal feelings and wants uh, and experiences that I want to project out to the world, I have to respect my fellow Chamorro and fellow Guamanian and their feelings because this is their home too. You know, you were talking about the whole settler issue. I I wholeheartedly agree with that. This is their home too. Mm -hmm. And so I have to be mindful of that. And I would say that... um, Free association is independence. It's just I'm a realist and I know that I am going to achieve that um, by negotiating with the United States at this point in history. You know, uh, uh, we can't undercut or undermine or devalue the experience of the Chamorros here because, you know, I'm sure they thought that the sun would never set on the Spanish empire and yet said it did. And I'm sure they thought that, uh, the Japanese were here for their thousand years, uh, co uh, East co Asian co prosperity spirit. And yet they weren't even here, but a blip in time. Mm -hmm. Even when the United States is long gone, we'll still probably be here. And, um, we have to do, if anything that we can learn from our history is that, um, you know, Chamorros are very resourceful. They make do with what they have. And uh, that is the beauty and the resilience of our people. And so uh, I'm just continuing a long line uh, of tradition in what people have always done here. And that is find a way to deal with my circumstances. And if me seeking independence means that for the meantime, I have to make a deal with the United States, I'm okay with that. Mm. Uh, And I think majority of our people um, 
kind of see it that way too. Yeah. So. Yeah, we we have a a common hurdle, and that's that's still the um, uh, decolonization education aspect of this whole thing, right? That's what the task forces are are tasked with. So I mean, you know, what what's your approach really to, you know, maybe people support, you know superficially support statehood or they want to be more like america like you say um because they're uninformed or they're scared uh what is it for you how do you approach that and how do you how do you help them see that there is a possibility as a sovereign nation and it doesn't always um well i guess in the case of free association there is there is a a tie to the united states for economic purposes but you know how do you approach that the thing is that people people's hearts are moved by their stomachs. It's really, if you ask the average Joe Cruz, maybe our relative, if you ask the average Joe Cruz, what is it that concerns you? They're going to answer, well, I'm just paying my bills and my mortgage and want to make sure that my kids get a better shake than I did, right? That's, that's pretty standard. That's, I mean, that's standard with humans all across the world. But what it is, is if you can show people, put aside all the historical injustices and the, you know, the grievances and the, the, the hiccups and everything that has gone on, put all of that aside and let's deal with you right now your situation right now. I think what it is, is if you show them, look, do you like your situation right now? I think a lot of people on Guam would probably say, well, not really. I wish it was better. I wish I was like, my life was like, uh, you know, like how it is on TV. You know, I mean, that's what we, that's what we all strive for, right? That's what we see. That's what we want. Um, If you can show them how this political status issue which you know is way above most people's heads mm-hmm. you know it's, it's off in space somewhere um you know it seems like just such a it's a it's it's just an idea but if you can show them that this idea has real life consequences for them economically where they are now that the reason why the can of spam and the calros is so expensive is because of the jones act mm-hmm. or that the reason why um you know they they can't afford to build a house and it's too expensive is that because there's no, you know, H2 workers that will supply cheap labor because, you know, some Congress in the United States has cut us off from that. When you can tie these political realities to real economic circumstances that people face and show them that there are real possibilities, that's when you're going to have... Um, a change of heart or at least an opening up to that. You know, in your last program, Mike made a very, very important observation. Wait, hold up. You actually listen to the show? Of course I do. Oh, damn. Yes. All right. Anyway, you're saying in the, you know, you're not the only, uh, uh Sides and isn't the only legendary, uh, Chamorro, uh, you know, led, uh, program or association, you know, <laughs> Fanatsu is also, you know, of, of great importance to our people. And I, and I hope everybody uh, listens to it. Getting back, back to reality. So anyway, back at the ranch, Mike was saying in, the, in your last program that the reason why people in Catalan, Catalonia, are so gung-ho for La Revolución is because they are economically better off. And they feel that uh, the other kingdoms of Spain are a drain on them. Right? Mm-hmm. We can look at a modern thing in another place. California is going to put on their ballot or is thinking about putting on their ballot to revive the Bear Republic. Why? Because California feels that it is drained by these poorer podunk states. Well, on Guam, we have the opposite. We feel that without the United States, we are going to sink into the depths of poverty. 
and magically overnight all our concrete roofs are going to turn to nipa yeah. you know and that all of gwa we're going to be putting a bamboo pipes in because we just can't afford to live without it but the minute you can show real ways of improving the economy and if you can show that the united states is actually hindering our economic development either purposefully or because of its policies well then you'll have and, and the minute you can convince people that you know aren't you tired of this don't you want something better that's when you're going to see real change, real. It won't even be grassroots support. It's going to be, you know, full force, you know, a demand of right. You know, one of the things that I have to say about the independence task forces, there's some, but not a lot of um, business backing. You know, I wanted the, to ask you that too. The big business yeah. backing, as far as the industries that uh, are the movers and shakers on Guam, are predominantly in the uh, military or building contracts kind of um, area on Guam. That that's kind of where the money is, um, and of course they're intrinsically tied in with um, you know military spending. So of course they're not going to bite the hand that feeds them. Although now I'm sure a lot of the contractors are having second thoughts because of the. Uh, h2b visa issue right, yeah. but i'll tell you one thing again i want to preface all of this by saying that um free association is a form of independence right it is independence um it's just independence with a little more planning and uh one of the things is that a lot of the people in the independence movement have these wonderful and they are good ideas but wonderful highfalutin uh, ideas and notions about what we can do economically. And um, I'm sorry, but that's just not based in reality. Um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a businessman. I have a, I have a lot of things going on in different sectors. And I really know the hard work that's, uh, that goes into them and, and the high probability that a lot of things fail before they get good or before you can find a good solution. And, uh, it's going to be rough. It's going to be a really rough transition because, you know, make no doubt about it. Should we declare independence from the United States? Uh, there will be a reckoning. Uh, America does not like to lose face. And it will punish you. Um, even just if you look in the past when America, when we had the base closures, Guam was one of the only places, if not the only place to actually say, yes, please, I'll take base closures. Mm. And what did they punish us by doing? They took away SRF, the ship repair facility. Mm. Um we're complaining now and we're starting our, our, our movement and, and we're really becoming organized as far as our um, uh, votes concerned with uh, decolonization. And oh, magically now after how many years the Chamorro Land Trust is up on the chopping block. Our H2 visas are, uh, you know, cut. Right, right. Make no mistake about it. Joe Bradley even had said this in public at a woman's uh, economic forum for the, um, what was it, the Women's Chamber of Commerce. These are clearly, you know, spanks from Uncle Sam mm. for, you know, rattling things down on the plantation. Um, so be, uh, do not be fooled. It will happen. The question is, is, how are we going to mitigate that? How are we going to negotiate and uh, navigate that treacherous path? And, uh, you know, we're really good at enough as locals. So, you know, let's fat tau tau these people. Let's, and, and let's also look at our own families. I mean, there is not one family on the island of Guam that I know, that you know, that he knows, that doesn't have members of the military or family members that live in the States. Um, 
you know, we've been we've been in the American cultural experience for a hundred years, and there's a lot of good to it that we have learned. Um, um, and um, we can't negate that. Um, we don't want to necessarily set that in one fatal stroke. Um, and it'll be hard to. It'll be hard for a lot of people. Um, and so, you know, I'm always going for the middle road. Um, because compromise is always the way things get done in the world. And it makes sure that everybody is happy and everybody can benefit. You know, the, the real question and the real danger with my position is that my position is solely pivoting on negotiating skills. And uh, it's up to us as an island, as a community, as a government, that if we should achieve independence via free association, are we going to negotiate a position that is beneficial to us and that we're all going to be happy with? Um, you know, let us take a cue from our Micronesian neighbors. We don't want to end up in that boat. It's kind of a good thing, though, that they got to negotiate their compacts first, because now we can have the benefit of hindsight uh, and we can really see, um, you know, what happened with them and where we can avoid. Um, I said earlier that um, it's unfortunate that our Micronesian neighbors often vote as a block against us when it comes to our issues because of the United States. But, you know, in, in, a, in a good faith way. I'm sure that neighbor to neighbor, they would be more than happy to tell us, make sure you don't do this, this or this, because this is what happened to us. Um, you know, so a lot of the argument and rhetoric I hear, especially in the independence camp, um, is a lot of historical grievances. And although those do matter and have a place, um, you know, I'm a go-getter kind of guy, so it's, 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 I understand that, I feel for it, but I need to move forward, and the people of Guam need to move forward, and sitting down and crying over my scraped knee from yesteryear, um, although it is valid, although it's important, it's not going to help me right now get to where I need to go, and I need to go there quick, because I don't have another day to live under the weight of master's share plow. I'm just, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it and I'm moving forward and I can deal with all of that later. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right, man. Cool. Adrian Cruz. So, um, I, why are you looking at me like that? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know, just throwing independence on, on the bus there but, you know, on our own show. What the hell? <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. No, uh, it was really great having you here. Obviously, um, you know, the the funny thing about social media is that like your network can close in around you like so quickly, um, and a lot of times you end up speaking to the choir when it, when you come when it comes to political things, and so to be able to talk to someone who doesn't necessarily share the same perspective on independence and free association. You know, obviously there there are a lot of similarities. There's also a lot of differences, but um, you know, it, it's really this is valuable for myself to be able to talk to you. You know, so I want to take it that way. But I seriously hope to to continue these discussions with you. You know, one last thought. Yeah. No matter what our persuasion is, we're all on the same island, and we're all gonna have to deal with each other, and we're all gonna have to work together. And we're all going to have to make this work. And so, you know, I, my challenge, I guess, to your uh, viewing audience is, I mean, uh, listening audience is. Um, I hear you. I understand the frustration. But. Um, let's work on solutions, real solutions. Uh, solutions that are going to be able to take us into the far into the 21st century. Um, because a lot of the problems that we're looking and reflecting on and a lot of the things that were that are bothering us are problems of the 20th century. They're 20th century wounds. Well, it's 2017. 
you're getting more gray hair, I have no hair, and babies are being born. So uh, we, we got to move forward. We have to move forward and we need some viable solutions. So I would like all that energy, all that gumption, all that gusto to really be put on focusing onto where we're going to and how, not just the where, but more importantly, the how we're going to achieve that in the 21st century. It has been a long, long, long time since our people have uh, been able to do things and we are just tired of it. And, um, you know, when you're in a canoe and you're lost out at sea, it's no use arguing about how you got lost. You need to figure out how you're going to get to the next place and fast because food's running out and so is water. And that's where we find ourselves as Chamorros in the 21st century. So let's quit the bickering and start paddling. All right, I'm, I'm going to play you out with some uh, spacey NPR music right there. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you for listening to Fanatsu. That was Adrian Cruz. Esta.